Hello everyone, this is Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Operations at CS2 Marketing with the Forward Thinking Podcast. Joining me today is one of my favorite guests on the team, Allison. Thanks so much for being here, Allison. Yeah, happy to be here. Excited about this topic. Before I joined the team, I uh, I definitely listened to a few of the podcasts that you had presented uh, regarding analytics, and I took a lot away with it. So uh, excited to have this conversation uh, as we're coming up to the end of the calendar year. For a lot of our listeners, they are in the midst of next year planning. Um, and with that comes our topic, and that is uh, revenue planning. So revenue planning, what are some of the common approaches that you've seen, Allison, uh, when it comes to setting revenue targets for the future year? I know I've been a, a part of experiences where we just took the opportunity number and we prayed that marketing was going to be able to, to hit its targets and it wasn't necessarily the most data-driven approach. And I've also taken a data-driven approach. So what have you seen? Yeah, I mean, uh, at companies that I've been usually you know the company itself has a, a revenue goal um typically it's based on a growth over the over the last year's metric um or over the last year's uh closed one numbers and then it's a certain percentage of that that is then kind of assigned to marketing um and then there's really two ways that you typically kind of figure out how many, you know, MQLs you need to achieve that number. Um, one way is a tops down approach where you're taking that revenue goal, you're backing into it with your funnel metrics, your volume velocity, conversion rates, average deal size, and seeing how many, you know, MQLs you need to achieve that goal. Quite often, because those are lofty goals, um, or you know, whoever assigned the percentage to marketing um, may not realize um, that marketing simply doesn't have the budget given the numbers to achieve that. So another way of approaching it is also a bottoms-up model, where you take your budget and you take your funnel metrics, and you figure out with your budget how many MQLs can you generate. And based on your historical funnel metrics, what kind of revenue you can hope to achieve with that. And then you plug in some efficiencies over um, your conversion rates. So if in the past, for instance, you saw, hey, you know, we, we see a bottleneck between these two stages. What are some strategies we can take this quarter this year to optimize that conversion rate? So essentially get more juice from the squeeze for your budget. Um, and, and that can get you closer to the tops down. So really reality kind of sits in between your bottoms up and your tops down models. I like it. So you're, so you're really taking a lot of different, you know, views into the data that you have. Um, I know some ways that I've seen it segmented is uh, by company size. So you're going to have different conversion metrics. You're going to have different uh, volume and average deal size, obviously. Um, what are some ways that, that you kind of recommend slicing and dicing this approach? 
Yeah, because, well, when you look at your funnel metrics, I mean, you can definitely look at your overall, like, what did marketing generate last year across all channels, all tactics, what was kind of the six-month rolling average conversion rate so that you can build that into your revenue plan. Um, but sometimes you'll see quite different uh, conversion rates, volume, velocity, um, based on different channels. So you might see uh, for events that it's it's quite different than your digital marketing. So you could sure. so you could reverse do your reverse waterfall based off of different segments. Um, you could also, um, oftentimes it's different based on region. So especially if you're um, breaking into a new region, so say that it's your first time um, breaking out into the APAC region, it's gonna be quite different um, in terms of your funnel metrics in different regions. So that's where you might want to segment out your uh, historical funnel metrics to figure out and get a little bit more accurate. But sometimes you just don't have enough volume historically to sure. segment it out that much. Cause like if you're only generating five opportunities a year in a particular region, then maybe don't use those five opportunities, you know, as your, uh, you know, as your historical metric for what you, what you'll see in the future is not enough volume to, to draw a conclusion. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it can almost be more risky if you just take a small amount of volume and you can make the wrong assumptions. And then all of a sudden you're not getting opportunities that matched the, the few that you did have. Right. And it's, you, you may have been better off making a less data informed decision and, you know, kind of taking more of a gut approach in, in, in a situation like that. Yeah. It's also just like, it, it's, it's, it's a model as well. So it's not ever going to match reality. Um, it's a simplification of reality, but because um, quite often too, you might have like a $6 million opportunity that kind of blows your metrics away a bit. And so it's, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt in that context. And Obviously, the more volume you have as a company, the more accurate your model is going to be, um, sure. just statistically. But um, yeah, there's still a few things you can do if you don't have quite enough volume. You know. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and and I know that we're going to want to talk through maybe some specifics um, after we get through a couple of the other topics here. So, Allison, um, if somebody is just utilizing one of the methodologies. Um, are there risks that, that they may have if they're not taking this, this top down and bottoms up? Um, I think that in the past, I've, I've seen it more tops down because the, the data is more easily and readily available. And then when you go with the bottoms up, maybe you have less data. Um, what risks do you think exist if you're only utilizing one model? Yeah, so I mean, if you're only using a tops down model, uh, the risk you run is you, you can definitely stress your teams out because it's it can be unrealistic if, you know, after doing your reverse waterfall based on your revenue goal, you need to achieve 
much, much more than your budget has typically been able to provide. Um, so there's a lot of pressure, especially um, when a lot of what happens once those leads enter your funnel isn't as influenced by marketing. Um, yeah. I, I will say that, you know, it can be influenced by marketing. It's not, it's not all sales job once it hits uh, hits your funnel. There's a lot of things you can do to accelerate or, you know, increase engagement at those accounts to make sure that they convert, but it is a little bit less in your control. And so there's a lot of stress that that can put upon you. And then if you only do a bottoms up approach, um, the risk that you run, especially if it's not communicated uh, widely beyond marketing that, no, actually, this is the goal for marketing, um, then you risk uh, expectations not being met outside of marketing and marketing being seen as we need more MQLs and, and not really having it be a collaborative experience. So I think it's just, it's really important that marketing as cliche as it sounds, has a seat at the table in sure. revenue planning so that it can, the goals can be a realistic number. Um, not to say that it's, that you're not going to have, um, you know, an increase over the last year. It's just making sure that it's realistic based on the budget you have. Because yes, you can get more budget to reach the goal. Um, but you should also be building in efficiencies throughout your funnel to, to get more out of that budget. So th those are For the sure. risks um, that I've seen, but. And I, and, and this, this planning process is such a good opportunity for sales and marketing to get aligned. Um, you've mentioned a few times now, like it's a, it's an opportunity to find where those inefficiencies are put together a plan to shore those inefficiencies up as a collective team. And that it's not, you know, one team goes, I've seen it where one team goes, they create the goals. Marketing has nothing is not a part of that conversation they're given the goals and saying, okay, this is your expectation, you know, slice and dice it. And then, you know, we don't know, is there, is there a, a process gap? Like maybe the volume that we're doing right now is actually the right volume, but we just need to get more out of those leads or out of those tactics. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, so a lot of this does rely on good data. It also relies on good process, right? Um, can you can you tell me like what are some of the foundational pieces that a company should be either having or working toward getting in the future? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, it's you know what are the stages of your funnel, making sure the entire revenue team understands what those stages are and how how that data is derived. So is, is it particular opportunity stages um, and what do those stages mean? Is it pre-opportunity? Is it a meeting being set? Is it somebody being reached out to via their, you know, sales engagement platform, what are the different stages? What do they mean? And making sure everyone's aligned on, yes, this is what these stages mean. 
um, and this is how the data is derived. Um, and then to the point about how the data is derived, having a way to make sure you're setting those stage attainment dates so that you know mm. how, so that you're able to measure what volume you acquire during a specific period, how long um, is the dwell time in each stage and how many in one stage are converting to another because that's essential for your your waterfall planning. Um, you need to know what your conversion rates are. You need to know how long records are staying in each stage and you need to know typically what volume you can expect. Um, exactly. And then you also need to know what your average deal size is um, so that you can back into it to get to that revenue goal. Sure. Um, and then typically you also would need to know how how those leads are sourced or how they enter the funnel so that you can accurately get to, okay, we can expect X number of MQLs from events that are then going to result in X dollars of revenue. Um, so yeah, you could segment by source. Um, For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, I, I I know that oftentimes velocity metrics get set and, and I hear, oh, it's three to six months. Um, and it's oftentimes like that's the velocity of the opportunity from the opportunity being created. But there's all of these steps that happen at the at the beginning of the funnel and repeat trips through the funnel. Um, and not often are we thinking about if you're building a reverse waterfall and you're starting at an MQL, typically as a as a starting point in the revenue planning, it's like it's not three to six months from an MQL usually. It's it's going to take a longer time. So when you're setting those goals, you have to be thinking about, you know, time boxing and 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 making sure that you're accounting for that, right? Yeah. I mean, because quite often in between an MQL and an opportunity, there's a lot of communication happening, a lot of meetings. Now it's really going to be dependent on how you've set up like your Salesforce instance, because in some cases that first meeting is technically an opportunity and with some companies, um, whereas with others, all the meetings occur. And then really until there's something to forecast, they're not creating an opportunity. So it, just kind of depends on how that's set up, but it there is a lot going on in a complex B2B life cycle before something hits pipeline. And so that needs to be taken into account too, because the the seeds you're planting in marketing today aren't going to show up in revenue until it's completed a full sales cycle all the way through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we were we were talking with a with a client, you and me, and and it was like you know, sales ops is very much like in the moment of this quarter, whereas marketing is very much thinking three, four quarters before how is this going to really impact us, right? So you should be thinking about what did what did I plan the previous year for MQLs, and what I'm generating in Q4 can actually influence my opportunity pipeline and revenue this year, right? Right. I think too, when you start with planning, I mean, you're also looking at pipeline coverage that you may already have, because like at the start of a quarter, you're you're ideally going to want like three to five X in pipeline at the start of the quarter um, in order to reach your revenue goal for that quarter. Um, so you have to take 
where things are within current stage when you're starting your planning um, yeah. as well, because you may already see that I already don't have enough in the middle of the funnel to make my revenue goal. So Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the topics that we've been talking a lot about at CS2 recently has been lead sourcing and life cycle sourcing. Can, can you just, uh, it, you know, in case if people are not aware of like what the difference is between those two, can you give just a brief overview? Yeah. Um, quite often we'll see different methods for tying a particular source to the, the opportunity that ends up getting created one method that we've seen is just using lead source. So, you know, you acquire a lead from a trade show. Uh, if that lead then converts to an opportunity at any point in their journey, then the credit is given to the trade show. Uh, one problem with that kind of sourcing is that it's very much based on first touch and Quite often, what we see in complex B2B life cycles that someone may enter the funnel initially from a trade show or whatever your marketing initiative was, um, but maybe it doesn't convert to an opportunity yet. So it gets recycled and then it comes back either due to outbound or to another marketing campaign. And so a model where you're just looking at the original source isn't taking into account the nuance of that complex B2B life cycle. So sure. typically what we'll recommend if you need to tie, you know, your opportunity back to a source for your planning is to use what we call the tipping point source, which is when that when that lead or contact enters the funnel, stamping what was it that pushed them either over your score threshold if it's an MQL or if it was purely sales driven. Um, marking that it was an outbound effort so that you can then segment all your funnel metrics by that tipping point to do your planning. Cause that's really what started the journey of your funnel. And it's going to be a sure. bit more accurate in terms of what should get credit. Now, obviously uh, an opportunity, there's going to be multiple things that influence it, but if you have to pinpoint it down to, one touch so to ease your planning it's going to be that tipping point that we would recommend for sure i uh i know i have a couple of of projects going right now kind of moving from that first touch to the tipping point um process and i think that it just it builds a lot of clarity and it and it at least gives a little more alignment between the sales and marketing team, as long as you are, you know, including a sales uh, process in that model. Um, so, you know, making sure that if somebody is doing true outbound work that they can properly source it and properly get that visibility, especially when it comes to uh, planning and, and attainment there. Um, what about a scoring model? Like a lot of this depends on, a, a dependable MQL to kind of start with a, with a high conversion rate. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause typically that's where, at least from a marketing perspective, that's the entry point to your, your active funnel is that MQL and it's typically based off of a score. Um, and so that's where your funnel metrics can really help too. Cause you know, 
scoring isn't an exact science. You know, you're going to give points to based on based on what you see in the data or you know what you feel is um, indicative of you know the right profile, the right buying behavior. Um, yeah. But using your funnel metrics can really help there too because if your score is too low or too high, um, you're going to get feedback when those records don't progress in the funnel. Like ideally your sales team is dispositioning those leads or contacts as, you know, recycled or disqualified and indicating a reason. And if you're constantly getting a reason of, you know, this person's just not ready to buy, um, then maybe you need to do more nurturing before it becomes an MQL. And so sure. getting that feedback loop and adjusting your scoring appropriately is all part of this as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and those are probably going to be some of your key areas as you are looking at refining and improving conversion metrics. Um, you know, I'm always getting a lot of feedback from a sales team of why did this MQL and why did, why did this not MQL? Um, and if you have sales as a part of that process and you're regularly reviewing your scoring model, it can be something that is very effective. I think that, that I hear a lot of stigma around scoring and you know, it's, it's a, it's a broken process and it can be, but it also can be a really great process that helps you, you know, be a much more efficient and predictable company right yeah. a lot of a, a lot of clients that we're working with and a lot of organizations that i've worked with in the past like you're a private company and you're trying to move to becoming a public company and the number one thing that that you hear is you need to have predictable revenue that you can constantly you know report back to your stakeholders and i think that just completely eliminating the strong foundation that we're talking about makes that really difficult to be predictive and instead yeah. you just Hitting a quarter, losing a quarter, hitting a quarter, hitting a quarter, losing a quarter. And that's not what, you know, what investors are going to want to see. And it's, again, going back to that morale, your team wants to win. So, you know, have the right foundation to make that a, a good decision, right? Right. I think, too, quite often folks will disregard either school, like this comes across marketing all the time because marketing Marketing math is never exact. And so when it's when it's an attribution model, when it's your funnel metrics, when it's lead scoring, all of those things are models, like data models, really. And they're not they're not gonna be accurate down to the number and they're not gonna, you know, just because someone hit your score threshold doesn't necessarily mean they're ready. It's indicative that they might be more ready than yeah. somebody who has a lower score. But you have to take that into account too, that it's a it's a simplification of reality. But it's not just because it's not a hundred percent accurate doesn't mean it's not directionally helpful. Or at least if you're measuring it consistently, when you see an improvement that you can call it a success. <laughs> yeah. How much time do you do you recommend uh, clients have or, or companies have uh, for like a consistent process? Is this something that like you should revisit on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, ideally, when you're doing your revenue planning, you're gonna want to have, I'd say, ideally, a, a year's worth of funnel metric data to base that upon. 
Um, but you know, you're you're gonna want a consistent business process as well throughout that time. So um, making sure that you know you you didn't completely change your business process or completely close down a specific uh, you know offering product offering that had a different target audience. Um, but you really want uh, enough data where it's been a couple sales cycles uh, so that you have accurate kind of rolling averages of conversion rates. You have a, an idea of what you can expect from a volume perspective quarter over quarter. Um, sure. Usually with conversion rates, like whenever I do planning, you know, you might re be redoing it a little bit each quarter, but you're looking at maybe at least a six to 12 months rolling average uh, rather than just taking, you know, what was last month's conversion rate? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're only taking a small period of time, even, even just a quarter, like there's seasonality, there is budget constraints, you know, customers tend to buy more at the end of their annual budgeting cycle when they have, you know, use it or lose it policies, um, which that could be a topic on its own. Um, but like having that longer period of time to build out these averages, it's just going to make it that much more predictable. Right. And that means that some quarters you might really accelerate because that's the quarter that is the high and it might be harder to achieve, but at least it's not, you know, a complete up and down motion. Right. Yeah. I mean, typically towards the end of the year, you're, you're seeing, you know, your last quarter of the year, you're seeing more revenue because that's when, you know, your sales reps are more incentivized and can give greater yeah. discounts and those <laughs> kinds of things. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, that, that uh, is also its own topic, but, you know, discounting, if you don't have a consistent process around discounting, that can also be very difficult to predict, right? Marketing yeah. might say, Hey, I delivered this account. It looks like it's going to be a massive opportunity. And we just gave 40% off. Like that can really, really make yeah. it difficult to plan for predictable growth. Right. Right. So, um, so we're, we're building this, we have the right foundation in place. Uh, we have the plan. How should, how should this plan be communicated and should it be revisited throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, ideally you have a set of dashboards where you're looking at, so you're plugging in your, uh, your goals. So you have a goal setting dashboard where, you know, okay, this quarter we're expecting this number of MQLs from this, from these channels, we're expecting these kinds of conversion rates. Um, and so you're looking at that really weekly to see, are you on target um, each week based on where you should be within the quarter? Um, so having, you know, like a pipeline meeting each week uh, sure. that marketing and sales is involved in. Um, and seeing if there are any issues with your funnel as well. Like, are you seeing those MQLs that, you know, were hot from your trade show that you put in two weeks ago and no one's following up on them, what's going on. So having those conversations 
and correcting those issues before they become a problem um, in terms of pipeline, in terms of revenue. Um, so yeah, it's 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 weekly <laughs> where you're looking at your progress towards your goals. For sure. Um, you know, we didn't talk really, we talked about timing for communication, but, um, but we didn't talk about timing for actually prepping this, this data and, and getting to this process, right? Um, nothing is worse than starting the new year and you go, Hey, sales team, what's your target? And they don't know yet. And the marketing team doesn't know yet. And we're getting into the middle of, you know, if it's calendar year, we're at the middle of January or the end of January and we don't know. Um, when is a good time to, to start these discussions? I mean, if your fiscal year starts in January, you probably should be starting on that model now. Um, because, um, you also have to take into account that your marketing team needs to plan. They need you know, your events team needs to plan what events they're going to attend next year. Your digital team needs to plan what channels they're going to promote, you know, assets on. Your content team needs to know what kinds of content to generate. And so making sure that you have those goals set, you know, before they've decided or committed to those events and those, uh, you know, digital channels um, making sure that you have that plan and that it is realistic based on, you know, what they've planned previously. Absolutely. And it's happening oftentimes at the same time as annual budgeting. And so kind of balancing those two, right? You need to set your goals. You need to know what you're being expected to achieve. So that way you can ask for the appropriate amount of budget. And then when that budget gets locked in, you know, do I have enough to actually achieve or do we have to modify? So it's, it's kind of a dance, isn't it? Like, yeah, give and take a little bit. You're, you're constantly going back and forth. So it's never going to be a month worth of work. It's always going to take longer. And the sooner that you really start to think about it and be proactive, the better. Um, it is cross-functional, so you don't always have a lot of control over that. But, you know, if marketing has a seat at the table, marketing is kind of the the downstream impact of it. So making sure that you are using your voice and, and making that a priority uh, for the business is important. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so we've talked a, a lot about, like, having good data. Um, what, how can I handle it if I don't have the right foundation in place? Um, well, one, one goal for the, the next year is that you should definitely try to get something set up so that you can measure, you know, the three V's, your volume, velocity, conversion rates, and making sure that that foundation is set up for next year. Um, another way that you can you know, a little bit more manual of a process, but you could look at your last year's worth of opportunity data because typically, I mean, you have to have some sales data and kind of try to back into that and figure out, you know, what what of these opportunities came from marketing, you know, about how many, you know, about how many leads did I generate that were of a certain quality and, do some light mathematics there to, to get at some goals. But, um, you know, we here at CS2 definitely view having 
a lead life cycle with consistent stage definitions and date stamping and all that as a critical component to your, you know, your marketing engine and making sure that that's set up for the next year or even just like the next quarter is something uh, we would we would recommend starting on right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I get away with just doing an attribution model and system? Like, can I just get, you know, a vendor that does attribution and, and, you know, figure it out from there? Typically not. I mean, a lot of people will define that word attribution differently, but, um, if we're talking about like a multi-touch attribution, that's giving credit. That is kind of what I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's what's difficult there is that you don't you don't have the date stamping for when those stages were attained um, with that. Um, you don't have um, you also don't have the the dates for even even your funnels that are outside of marketing. So that purely sales driven approach. So if sales starts doing outbound, you know, what's the velocity of that? What's the velocity of your marketing? So you really, really need those date stamps the, uh, to be able to measure the volume, velocity, and conversion rates. Uh, with attribution, it's great at understanding, you know, which channels and tactics are influencing your opportunities and which which ones are going to be the campaigns that you should invest in next year versus this year. But it's it's not going to help you with your reverse waterfall without the the date stamping. Yeah, definitely. And the the date stamping and the stages and all of that like that's building in just like the the marketing and sales process right, you know. Yes. If it if there's not something that you can dependably go back to, everybody's kind of running deals probably based upon their experience. Worst case scenario, their inexperience, and it's really difficult to kind of predict that. So, ha you know, even if you're moving a hundred percent ABM, this is going to be the future. It's like you're still talking to individuals, and we still every time that I'm talking to clients and, and, you know, people in the community, I still view a lot of value in having the lead process because that's getting individual through and building in predictability. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the great, one of the greatest benefits of tracking your funnel is really getting that alignment across teams, enforcing those definitions, making sure everyone's on the same page. You don't have, you know, one sales rep who's creating an opportunity when when the first meeting is created and then another sales rep who's just creating it when they know it's a done deal. Um, you have that consistency and enforcement across your your revenue journey. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I even know, you know, going into the opportunity stages, if you don't have clear exit and entrance criteria, your pipeline becomes very not dependable, right? It's like rank my opportunity right. one to five. How likely is it to close sometimes? And you don't have like any factual data to, to lean back on to. Um, yeah. Now, now we can, we'll, we'll have another topic in the near future talking through life cycle, like the life cycle itself. Um, we have, we have some topics that are coming up that we'll touch on that in a greater detail, but can you just stress the importance of like, 
there are there are good, better, best models, but like the importance of just having something that's consistent. Yes, um, I would I would argue in some cases that the method for implementing your funnel metrics is is maybe not as important or at least equally as important as consistency across those measurements. So if, you know, an SAL today means this and then you change that, you know, two weeks from now to mean something else, it's not going to be helpful in your planning. You're going to want consistency across those stages. So it's really important to set those definitions from the get-go, make sure everyone understands what those mean, um, and then make sure everyone's able to follow the process um, and you know, implement enforcement mechanisms, SLAs, validation rules, things like that where you can ensure the, the business process is being followed so that you can, as accurately as you can, build your plan. I like it. Awesome. Allison, any closing thoughts as we, uh, as we wrap up the podcast today? Um, just um, make sure that you are, you know, tracking these kinds of things and that, you know, you're, you're setting realistic expectations with your team. You're communicating um, with those folks outside of marketing and making sure everyone's on the same page. I, I think really that's the lesson here is, is communication, uh, clear definitions, those kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure that we could come out of this with like the four C's of, <laughs> of revenue planning. Yeah. Uh, so, so keep an eye yeah. out for a future blog. Um, <laughs> definitely yeah. an opportunity there. So Allison, thank you so much. I, uh, you know, prior to my time over at CS2, I did a lot of lifecycle work. I did a lot of uh, a, a lot of this revenue planning, and and it was always difficult because I was constantly having to say, "Here's an exception, and we can't depend on this, and we can only look back two quarters because we changed it." Um, so, you know, the 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 conversation that we're having today, and and the insights that that you've shared. It's definitely something that is worth following um, and trying to build in that rigor in your organization. Uh, you know, as as people in MOPS, consistency is key and it's not always the way that all of our stakeholders are necessarily going to think. So, you know, share this, share this information with your teams and, and let them know, you know, there's some real benefits to having the right foundation in place to allow yourself to have predictable growth, higher team morale, and, and ultimately achieving the goals that you're setting out. So Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you got value out of this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you could share this with a colleague, uh, share this with a friend, leave us a review. It really does help us um, get this podcast in front of more people. We definitely appreciate it. This was the Forward Thinking Podcast. Thank you, Allison. See you next time.